from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Will you read these words with me? They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogues a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. We continue our sermon series uh, called The Way. As we've been talking uh, last week, we'll continue for several, uh, for a few weeks uh, about the way of Jesus. Uh, we'll actually learn about the land that Jesus was in, um, learning that as we read Scripture, especially throughout the Gospels, as we read the Bible, the land in itself is a character in the story. Right, and, and so we do need to learn about where Jesus was, what he was doing in those places. Uh, and we've been learning about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus? And, and, and I find this passage so interesting. Uh, the passage I read is, is that Jesus is preaching and teaching in the synagogue. And in the middle of his teaching, he gets interrupted. He, he gets interrupted by this man possessed by a demon. And Jesus handles it with such grace. Jesus handles it with such grace. Uh, personally, I, I've actually never been uh, interrupted in this way, uh, thankfully. Um, and I've never really had a real interruption in, in the middle of a sermon. But um, I got to participate in a worship service that did have a severe interruption. Um, that um, when uh, Melissa and I uh, were first married, uh, we had friends of ours, uh, my roommate in college, that uh, he was a pastor of a small church in uh, rural Oklahoma. And so one Saturday night, we went and stayed with their family. And then uh, the next morning on Sunday, we went to their church. And uh, Sunday morning, we got there. It was a small, you know, um, United Methodist church. And, and we got there, about 20 people gathered. And, and, and you know, we, we sat in the sanctuary and the, the organist played the prelude, you know. And, and as the, the prelude was going on, uh, the song before the worship started, I could see these flies kind of buzzing around. And, and there, as the prelude continued, there seemed to be more and more and more of them. And, and finally, I leaned over to Melissa and I said, you know, where are all these flies coming from? And she said, they're, they're not flies, they're bees. Oh, no. So I was, oh gosh. So, 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 you know, these bees are buzzing around. And it's almost like as the prelude keeps going and as this organ and as this loud music happens, these bees are just getting more and more agitated and, and they keep buzzing and kind of dive bombing people and and, and, and then, uh, you know, this lady on the other side of the aisle, I will later learn that she is the oldest living member of the congregation, um, gets stung right underneath the eye by a bee um, in the middle of the prelude. The worship service hasn't even started yet. Um, and, and, and my friend, um, now that the prelude is over, my friend is determined that this service is going to happen. Right? You ever, you ever been in one of those moods like, you know, this is going to work come bees or anything else? And so... So he stands up and he starts doing the welcome like, like nothing is happening. And, and he's leading this welcome saying, welcome to church. We're glad you're here. And these bees are just dive bombing people. And, and he's trying not to flinch as one just comes right at him, you know, and just like goes away. And, and finally, somebody in the back of the sanctuary in the middle of his welcome just raises their hand and says, we can't do this. There's bees everywhere. They've made a nest. And we look up and there is a nest right in the peak of the sanctuary. And he just says, well, what do you want me to do? And, 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 and she said, well, there's, there's a fellowship hall just right across the hall. Let's go over there and have worship. And, and my friend is so agitated at this moment that he, he slams his hymnal cl- closed and he says, fine, we're going to the fellowship hall. And he, and he storms out 
And he storms out of the room and he says, bring your hymnals. You'll need them. And then the door slams right behind him. <laughs> and so now every time I see him, I say, bring your hymnals. You'll need them. And, just, and, and, we, had, and we had worship in the fellowship hall. And, and, and you know what I find is that, that he's not the only one who, who doesn't deal with interruptions well. You know, that, that sometimes we just we don't handle interruptions very well. Um, and, and, and you know what else I find is that most time interruptions are not, you know, not bees. Uh, they're, they're not like, like nature. Most of the time, most of the time, interruptions are people. And what I find is that sometimes we don't handle people very well, right? And, and maybe you've experienced this. You, you, you know, you're trying to have a conversation with, uh, you know, your, your spouse, and maybe you have little ones like toddlers like Melissa and I do. And, and you know, we're trying to have a conversation, and, and we hear that, 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 that thing, right, that mom, mom, mom. Mom, mom, mom. That could go on for hours, I think, if you let it. And just, you know, dad, 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 dad. And you let it go on so long that finally you just react. You're just like, what? You know, like, what do you need? And, and, and we don't handle those, those interruptions very well. Or, or maybe it's at your work, you know, and, and, and maybe you've just got a million things to do. And that one person comes into the office who's always got a problem. You know, that one person who, who maybe doesn't have people to talk to at home or something like that. They always come into your office and they always want to talk and you can't get anything done. And, and, and maybe you don't handle that interruption very well. You know, and you maybe kind of lash out like, listen, I don't have time for this. You know, instead of saying, maybe we can talk about this later, or, you know, how about lunch or something like that, you know, you, you lash out and it doesn't go very well. And, and what I find is that we don't handle interruptions very well. Maybe it's our own spouse or our own uh, partner. Somebody, you know, we're trying to do something and that person tries to reach out to us and we, we just don't handle those things very well. And what we need is healing. What we need is healing. That throughout the Gospels, we read about Jesus and, and he's teaching and preaching and going throughout his ministry. And, and Jesus constantly gets interrupted. Jesus constantly gets interrupted. And, and what we find is that Jesus doesn't just react harshly. He doesn't say something mean. In fact, what happens is really an incredible blessing. It's an incredible blessing. Uh, we read uh, in the passage a little while ago that Jesus is preaching in the synagogue and he's interrupted by a demoniac, a man possessed by a demon. And what I find amazing about this passage is that Jesus is, is teaching in the synagogue. This man stands up and yells at Jesus and, and Jesus immediately addresses not the man. You see, most people in the synagogue, I imagine, were, were you know, dumbfounded. This man would stand up and, and want him to just sit down and Jesus would have been fully in his right to say, listen, I'm teaching, you know, I'm the rabbi, I'm the teacher, I'm the son of God. You need to sit down and listen to this teaching. But what Jesus says instead is he immediately addresses not the man, but the demon. That, that he can immediately, in the midst of this interruption, understand what is happening in this moment. And he addresses the demon and he says, come out of him. Leave him alone. That the result of, of this interruption is healing. And the man, the man is healed. The, the demon leaves him. Again, when Jesus could have just said, sit down, be quiet, and listen, this man receives healing in the midst of this interruption. This isn't the only time that Jesus gets interrupted. This happens like, throughout Jesus' ministry. Um, there, this other passage, a little bit later than the passage we read, uh, Jesus gets to Peter's house, and one of his disciples, he heals his mother-in-law. And after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, everyone in, in Capernaum starts to hear about it. Everyone hears about it, and so they start bringing every person who's sick, who's lame, anybody who has some kind of illness, they bring them to Jesus. And this goes on throughout the night, throughout the night. And, and finally, Jesus has to get away, right? And so the, the healing has stopped. People have gone to bed, and Jesus gets up early. I read about it in Mark 1, that in the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions, what did they do? They 
hunted for him. I think I know uh, kind of how Jesus feels uh, because, you know, sometimes um, in, in the midst of like a Saturday when I'm home and, and the kids are going crazy and everything's happening, um, you know, I, I have to go to the bathroom and, uh, and, and I get there and I'm just thankful for this like moment of peace. And then what happens? But those like fingers come out from under the door. Has that ever happened to you? Um, it's like the little fingers, you know, like, what are you doing in there, dad? Like, what are you, I'm in the bathroom. What do you think I'm doing? You know, and, 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 or am I just, somehow I didn't like latch the door all the way and my, my like one-year-old just comes like, you know, bumbling in, you know, and, and, and then just like the bathroom becomes a playroom at that moment. And, and uh, so, you know, I think I kind of know what Jesus feels like, right? Like Jesus tries to get away, he tries to retreat. And, and Simon it wakes up in the morning and he doesn't see Jesus on, on his bed mat. And, and instead of thinking, you know, Jesus is a smart man. He, he's a rabbi. He's the son of God. Um, he, he, if he got away, he must have been doing something very important. No, when Simon sees an empty bed mat, he goes and he hunts for Jesus, right? And, and so Simon, when he finds him, says, everyone is searching for you. Yeah, because you told him to, you know? Like, dude, just, just chill out for a minute. And, but Jesus when he hears this, Jesus answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee proclaiming the message in the synagogues and casting out demons that, that Jesus is praying. Jesus is alone. He's retreating. And he gets interrupted by Simon. And, and in the midst of this interruption, in the midst of this interruption, he just lash out to Jesus, uh, to Simon and say, leave me alone. Like, right, I'm I'm praying. No, the result of this interruption is that Jesus' ministry expands. Jesus says, fine, let's go. Let's continue. We'll go throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news. Let's do this ministry. Let's do this work. But Jesus is in the middle of a prayer, and he gets interrupted. And, and, and I find you know, it's so interesting. Like, if, if we've ever been or if we're ever going to be interrupted in a prayer, um, I, I hope that we are just the kindest, nicest people when we get interrupted. Right? Because like when we're praying, we are talking to God. God, who is an infinite being, who is all loving, all goodness, all kindness, all things good, God is. And when we are praying with God and we get interrupted, the last thing that we want to do is lash out at somebody and say, what do you want? Right? That, that, has, that, that, that didn't coincide with our relationship with God, that because we pray with God, we should be nice to people. That that's something that should happen because of our prayer life. And, and so Jesus is praying, he gets interrupted by Simon, the ministry continues, and, and Jesus continues to get interrupted again and again and again. Jesus, later on, is teaching, and he's interrupted by children. Maybe, maybe you've heard this story that, that while Jesus is teaching, all these parents bring their children to Jesus, and, and they've heard about Jesus. They want him to, to touch him, to bless them, and the disciples stand in front of Jesus, right? And they say, you know, don't let him be bothered, right? This is the Son of God. Don't, don't let him be bothered by these children. And Jesus says, no. Let the children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And Jesus lays his hands on them, and he blesses them. The result of this interruption is that Jesus blesses them when these children should have received nothing. Right? These children, and in the time of Jesus and the ancient Near East, children had no rights. They were property. They weren't even people at this point. Right? And, and, and so Jesus, he could have been well within his right to send them away, to say, don't let them bother me until they're 12 or 13. You know, they, they really don't need to be here. But no, Jesus says, let them come to me. And he puts his, places his hands on their heads and he blesses them. Jesus blesses them when they should have received nothing in the midst of this interruption. And 
Again, this happens over and over again. Jesus gets interrupted again and again and again. And my favorite story of the interruption of Jesus is, is in Mark chapter 2. Um, Jesus, again, is in, in Capernaum. And, and, and we read about this in, in chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, they're in Capernaum, and they're uh, now staying at Peter's house. And in the gospel of... Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting there. Okay, so Jesus and the disciples are at Capernaum, and, and, um, and, and they're staying at Peter's house. And if you go to Capernaum today, you can actually um, see a sanctuary that's built on top of what they believe to have been Peter's house. This is what the sanctuary looks like right now, and, and um, it's built in a round, and there's a square uh, glass floor in the middle of the room, and you can see through it. Um, and if you were to look underneath the building, you can actually walk outside and peek underneath, and there is a, a small, about 600-foot um, stone structure that they believe to actually have been Peter's house. Uh, where, where Jesus stayed really throughout his ministry, that most people believed he moved from Nazareth, lived with Peter and his family in Capernaum, and it was from there that he performed all of his ministry, that he would leave from there, come back, leave from there, and come back. And so we read about this story of the four friends bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus. Uh, it, it was most likely at this place and this house. And so we, we read about this story in, in Mark chapter 2. Um, that so many gathered around Jesus that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And when he was speaking the word to them, and, and he's speaking the word to them, then some people came, bring to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. Now this is a kind of a, a weird um, paragraph because we read in the story this random pronoun, right? Like so many gathered around that there was no longer room for them. Well, who was them? And I wonder if Mark, the writer, is actually foreshadowing these four friends. Right? And he's saying that before the four friends even show up in the story, before the four friends and the paralyzed man even show up at the house, at Peter's house, before they ever even thought about bringing the paralyzed man, that there was, before then, there was, even then, there was no room for them. Even then, there were so many people gathered around Jesus that there was no place for them. That, that these four friends bring their paralyzed friends to Jesus, and when they get there, this house is packed out. And they keep trying to get in, and they realize that there is no room for them. And I wonder if in that moment they remembered the story of Jesus' birth. At the time when, when Mary and Joseph were searching desperately for a place to deliver the Christ child, and then they kept knocking on door after door looking for a place to stay, and there was no place for them, that they were refugees in a foreign land, that there was no place for them to dwell. And finally they said, you can stay in a barn. And I wonder if in that moment these four friends realized that they needed to get this paralyzed man as close to Jesus as possible. And so they go to the roof. And, and, and in the time of Jesus, these roofs had, had flat tops. These were not just like roofs like we have today, but they were actually extended living structures that people would go on top of the house and sit and eat and talk. And, and, and so the four friends take this paralyzed man to the roof of the house, and they start to dig through the roof. And, and this was a very well-built structure. This was, was clay and, 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 and sticks and mud and thatched. And, and so they would dig through, and with their bare hands, they, they started to pull back the roof. And on the other side, Jesus is in the middle of his teaching, and I imagine this dust starts to crumble, right? This dust starts to fall from the ceiling, and, and Jesus in that moment instantly knows what's happening, right? And, and, and this is about to be an interruption um, 
the one that I don't think Peter is going to be very happy about, right? I mean, Peter is, this, this is his home. This hole is being torn in his roof. And, and I imagine that Peter might have said something about it to say, Jesus, get them off of the roof. You know, they're, they're going to tear a hole. They're going to compromise the entire structure of this building. And Jesus allows it to happen. And so this man is lowered in front of Jesus, paralyzed, lying there on the floor. And Jesus tells the man, your sins are forgiven. In the midst of this interruption, in the midst of this teaching that he's given to this crowd of people who have gathered around to hear him. These people have followed him from synagogue to Peter's home. They'll follow him wherever he goes. These people are hanging on every word that he says. And this interruption comes. This paralyzed man is laying on the floor in front of him. And he tells the man, your sins are forgiven. And as soon as he does that, the people around him, as soon as he does that, the people around him start to question about who this person is that can actually forgive sins. And Jesus hears it, and he says, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Here's what I find amazing about this story is that these people have followed Jesus. This crowd, right, has gathered around Jesus and they have stuck around him and they've packed into this small house, this 600 square foot house, and they've packed it out. They've even surrounded the house where nobody could get in. And and when this paralyzed man gets laid in front of Jesus's feet, everyone around Jesus thinks that this man has no right to be there. Everyone around thinks that this man should be anywhere else but here. It was believed in that time that if you were paralyzed, if you had any malady, that you were believed to have been cursed by God. That God was either cursing you because of something you did or your parents did. That this man needed to be as far from religious leaders as possible. That we can't even touch this man for fear that we might be unclean. That everyone around Jesus thought this man had no right to be here. And Jesus says he does. Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to people like this. What I find amazing is that the people who were closest to Jesus couldn't be further from him. The people who who were gathered so tightly around Jesus, hanging on every word that he said, didn't understand his ministry, didn't understand what he was saying. But these four friends who were on the outside, these four friends who had been touching this paralyzed man who never would have been allowed in the temple and the synagogue for fear that they were unclean, they were untouchable. They said, this man has a right to be near Jesus. So Jesus heals him. The result of this interruption is that Jesus heals the paralytic, but he also heals everyone else of their self-importance. Because when we get upset about interruptions, that's really what we're upset about. Right? I mean, when we get interrupted, you know, in the back of our heads, we're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm too important. I've got too many things to do. People are depending on me. I've got work. I've got family. I've got this. I've got that. I can't stand this interruption. And what we really need is for Jesus to heal us of our self-importance. So when we read the story of Jesus, we learn about interruptions. And, and we learn a little bit about what interruptions are. 
And most important, when you learn about what they are not, interruptions are not an excuse to be a meanie pants. Don't be a meanie pants. I just wanted an excuse to say meanie pants in church. I thought it'd be fun. But um, don't be mean. Don't be mean. Interruptions are not an excuse to fly off the handle at somebody. Right? Interruptions are, are frustrating and they can, they can be bad, but they're not an excuse to, to be angry at somebody. That throughout Jesus' life, he gets interrupted. The only time Jesus really gets mad in the Gospels is when he finds the, the money changers in the temple. And he knew they were there. That wasn't a surprise to him. That didn't hit him out of left field. He didn't just fly off the handle. No, Jesus knew about it, that every time Jesus gets interrupted, he doesn't get mad, but he continues ministry. This blessing happens. Interruptions are not an excuse to be mad. Interruptions are are reminders that we are not even in control. When we get interrupted, we get mad that we can't control something we were never meant to control in the first place. Right? We get mad that, that we can't order this entire world, and God said, that's what I did for you. I did it so you don't have to worry about it. Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field. They, they neither spin nor toil. He said, how much more will God take care of you? We get mad that we can't control it. And God said, you were never meant to. And interruptions are opportunities for us to do nothing and for God to show off. Interruptions are for opportunities for us to give glory to God. Then we get interrupted by our children, and we thank God that we have children to get interrupted by. When we get interrupted by friends and family, we, we thank God that they confided in us. Now, what I'm not saying is that in the midst of interruptions, such as, such as illness or a loss of job or, or anything like that, 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 you know, that, that in the end everything's going to be okay because, because I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is that God is the God of resurrection. That in the midst of the worst pain and evil this world could ever experience, God brought new life, and I believe the same will be true for all of us. That in the midst of our interruptions, no matter what it is, I believe God has the power to bring new life out of it. And so I want to encourage you this week to to practice a few things. One of them is is to check your prayer life. Here's the thing we know about, about our prayer life, that um, how we deal with interruptions, how we deal with interruptions will betray how often or how deeply we talk to God. Right? That if we're just always flying off the handle of people, then, then people are going to question whether or not we really talk to God that often. Right? If we keep yelling at people and getting mad at them, people are going to question how much we really talk to God who is all loving and all good. And so one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do is really to check your prayer life. And then uh, check your fruit. Uh, we talk about this a lot at Acts 2. Uh, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, um, we read these words, that by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Now, how, how are you doing on these things? Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you generous? Do you have self-control? Now, notice what I did not say. I did not say check your spouse's fruit, right? Uh, don't, don't check your family's fruit. Don't check your friend's fruit. Don't check anybody else's fruit. Check your own fruit. Um, a phrase I never thought I would say in my entire life. But check your own fruit. Um, don't, don't check anybody else's fruit. 
uh, that we could practice these things. And if something's off, we'll pray about it. Ask God to show us where we need to grow. And finally, I want to encourage you to create margin in your life. And, you know, if you say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. I've got work. I, we've got, you know, soccer practice. We've got band. We've got this. We've got that. I've got my, my schedule is jam-packed. I simply can't take an interruption. And I would say, you know what, you're right. You can't. But that's not why you were created. You were not created to pack your schedule full of stuff to do that you couldn't take an interruption from someone who needed help. Then in the, in the book of Exodus and the Old Testament, I read about the story of the Hebrew people, these people who were chosen by God. And, and the Hebrews were in slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, they were in slavery in Egypt, and they spent their entire lives making bricks. For 400 years, they made bricks. Just day in and day out, they made bricks over and over and over again. They were not known by who they were. They were not known as Hebrew people. They were not known by their names, but how many bricks they could make. And they cry out to God, and God frees them. God liberates them, and he brings them out into a land that he would show them, into the land flowing with milk and honey. God brings them out, and when he does, he gives them the Ten Commandments, one of which is that they will have a Sabbath day. One of which is, is a day that they will rest. A day will rest, for God says that you were known. You were known in the past by how much you could do. You were known in the past by the work of your own hands. You were known by how many bricks you could make, by how much stuff you could accomplish, by how much you could do. But now you will be known as my people. Now you will be known as a people who rest and know that God is in control. That, that despite your best efforts, despite anything that you could do, that God has an infinitely greater plan for all of us. And those plans come to us in the midst of our interruptions if we will simply let it happen. My hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would create some space in our lives to allow for these holy interruptions. 